If you listen to this podcast and follow what we do at Troutbitten, then you're a thoughtful angler, and you don't accept the status quo simply because that's how it's always been done. Squall of Fishing designs and creates fly fishing apparel with this same philosophy. Squalla was started by a group of lifelong fly anglers who spent their careers working for some of the biggest names in the outdoor industry, and they understood that essential fly fishing apparel like waders, jackets, sun gear, and insulation could simply be better. So now, Squalla makes gear for us, the like-minded few, serious anglers who don't take themselves too seriously. Check them out at squallafishing.com. Water is essential for life, but for Orvis, it's the blood of the brand. Orvis has been the leader in fly fishing since 1856. No other brand can match the explorative and innovative spirit they bring to the water today. Everything at Orvis is about inspiring and empowering adventure and wonder in nature. Rooted in the vitality of fly fishing, fueled by passion and curiosity for the outdoors, Orvis designs and develops products and experiences providing the knowledge and expertise to enable more meaningful moments and connections in nature. With over a century and a half of experience in the field and on the water, Orvis seeks to ignite that passion in others. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Yeah, Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. It's about trout. Wild trout. This is Trout Bitten. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. My name is Dominic Swantowski. I'm the owner of Trout Bitten and the author of TroutBitten.com. Welcome to the final episode of this Night Fishing for Trout series on the Trout Bitten Podcast. So in this six-part series, we've covered locations, water types, weather, water, and light conditions. We've talked about the gear, about flashlights and headlamps and glow-in-the-dark stuff. We've considered what a good night plan looks like, having a strategy, and then adapting. Tactically, we've talked about drifting versus swinging flies, about three levels of the water column, about where to expect trout might feed the most after dark, and we've walked through the topwater patterns, emergers, and streamers at night. Now this week, we're finishing up the series with nymphs, wets, and the Harvey Pusher night flies. My night fishing friends are here with me tonight, and by now, you probably recognize their voices. But let's say hi anyway. Austin Dando, what's up? Hey now. You get out last week fishing? I did. Trevor and I got out together. Uh, I know. was that, last Friday night? Yeah, it was. That was supposed to be, a, that was supposed to be the trifecta, and then I couldn't you make couldn't it because I was it. very sick. Yeah, no, you're sick. Epic case of mangina. <laughs> <laughs> He's an adult. I'm adult sized. <laughs> he had a week last week, didn't he? He had a week. All right, so that's that's Josh's voice over there with the soft voice. This- that's Trevor making fun of him. Doctor Trevor Smith making fun of him. Hello. Mm-hmm. And we know me. Hey, we know. Let's you. get look. <laughs> you know me. <laughs> <laughs> in all these, I feel like we have a lot to cover. So I'm moving us. Yeah. I'm moving it. Jump in. Our smart ass buddy, Bill Dell, who we all miss so much on the podcast, but he couldn't be here because he's afraid of the dark, right? He wasn't he part is. of this series because he never night fishes because he's afraid of the dark. Anyway, he's been listening to the podcast series and uh, he sent us a couple questions, which I thought was a joke at first. <laughs> I know. And they were pretty good. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Good question. They are good questions. Um, he sent a few, and I picked a couple. <laughs> <laughs> that means that I didn't pick them all. I didn't. We're not going over all of them. But anyway, Bill wrote the following: Hi, Trout Pit and Night guys. Long time listener, first time caller. That's a little, little humor there. <laughs> uh, now here's the question. He says, "How do hatches impact night fishing and fish locations, like white flies?" Stoneflies and green drakes. He says white flies because that's kind of a summer hatch, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a nighttime summer hatch, right? Right on. Good point. Yeah. And, and, and they're big. And he says, could a new night angler get to the river at last light? And <laughs> he's thinking about himself, right? <laughs> <laughs> Asking for a friend. Asking for a friend. Could a new really scared night angler uh, get to the river <laughs> at last light? Hold somebody's hand. And observe trout fishing, uh, and observe trout feeding on the surface, and then expect the same trout to remain in that location hours later. I think we get his uh, get his questions, get his points, and he says thanks. Daytime elitist Delhi, that's him. I mean, that last part of his question, Josh and I this summer saw. We got to the river pretty early mm-hmm. one time, and we observed fish rising before dark. Um, to, to a hatch nice and and those fish seem to be rising in the same location right up until dark and i don't think we caught any of those fish and, and you'll have to correct me josh or fill in the story but it was when we fished night fished with your dad um we watched a couple large fish rising right before dark and then we fished really right before it got dark into the dark using our nighttime tactics so yeah, kind of what filled me in on what happened because you guys were fishing that section. Yeah, in my opinion, we waited a little bit too long to start fishing because we were like, let's mm. let's do this night fishing thing and let's let them do their thing and then as soon as it gets dark, go after them. And yeah. I think that the right way of approaching those fish should have been meeting them where they were at. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll include that I wasn't really fishing that night. Had I been fishing, we would have caught oh. all of them. He catch as many <laughs> as he wants. He could have caught as many no, fish no, no. as he wanted to. Sorry, Austin. Greg. That's right. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. But they were rising in in very classic spots for us that we'd seen them before at night, mm-hmm. which was interesting. Uh, the hatch was obviously happening in water that was more friendly to night fishing, water that we would approach sooner at night, sooner than we would during the day, which was interesting. One thing that struck me was one of the larger fish we saw rising was a good deal out from the bank, right? Mm-hmm. Like off structure. Sure. Right off structure, yeah. Yeah, right off structure, but out from the bank a good ways in a location that, while wouldn't be uncommon at night, also just reminded me or reminds me even now as I'm thinking about it, like, hey, think about structure in addition to bank lies as locations for fish at night. So Mm -hmm. I think it's a fair chance to say that if you observe trout feeding in the evening before dark, on dry flies heavily, let's say it's even just decent dry fly water, that you could probably target that same water at night because yeah. around here, a lot of our dry fly water, it's not fast, hard running ripples. It's sometimes slower walking paced water, perfect yeah. nighttime fishing water often. And you want to fish where the food is. So chances are those bugs are still coming down the water hours after the lights go out. So sure. if those fish are still eating, they could be eating emergers, they could be eating uh, sunken insects, uh, fish where the food is. I don't have a lot of great experiences of witnessing a hatch before dark and then fishing with night tactics successfully for those fish that were just 
feeding on a hatch. I agree. And for sure. whatever reason that is, like I don't think that I don't think that like mouse patterns and these big streamers make for great hatch breakers hmm. in terms of like right. I think that if they're if they're keyed in on on a hatch that's happening, I think that they're successfully feeding on larger food forms and aren't all that interested in maybe the extra work that it takes to go after one of our night fly presentations yeah, right sometimes. On. I totally agree. Do you think they're full? No, I don't. I don't. I th- just think they're like keyed in on smaller prey. And I think that were we the type of night fishermen that were doing the bash line model of fishing size fours and sixes and eights in wet flies, maybe we'd be seeing, and we're going to talk about wets tonight. Gotcha. I think if that was our primary tactic, maybe we'd see more success in those situations. And yeah. honestly, these types of discussions give me and Josh and all of us like ideas for next year that sure on nights where we've had hatches, right? Like maybe target those riffles and maybe the run below a riffle a night after a hatch and, and use smaller wets and, and see what swinging those wets through mm-hmm. those locations does. I fished a sulfur hatch one time. I have no idea why they were actually emerging at dark. But they were. It was uh, early June, and the sulfur hatch was kind of winding down. There was pretty. They were pretty small sulfurs. They were like sixteens, and I fished it in the evening. And I went. It wasn't a spinnerfall. They were emerging, and I I just kept fishing it into the dark. I was there to night fish, and so I kept going. And I, I guess I found this pretty interesting because I was like, well, I guess I'm going to have to fish. Like I don't have size sixteen wet, so I was taking nymphs and trying to fish them as wets. Okay, which kind of could work. But here's the thing. I did not do well, right? But I'm like, well, maybe maybe the hatch stopped once it was dark. And I mean, it's like 11 o'clock by now. And I'm thinking, oh, I get, that's probably over. But what if I, I need to start going bigger than with my patterns. So I went pretty quickly to size fours and sixes and they started eating. And I turned the light on enough. I did. I turned my white light on enough. I had, well, I remember on my vest, I had sulfurs, you know, I could, pick off five or six sulfurs on my vest. So it seemed to me that that emergence was probably still going on, but they didn't really care about the small flies after it got dark, seemingly. And uh, they were eating my fours and sixes a lot better. It looked nothing like the sulfurs. Like you said, we're going to talk about wet flies here in just a little bit. And I don't think those wet flies actually look like insects. People say, well, fish wets because, you know, there's a, hat, there's a hatch going on. Like Bill's asking us here, hey, if there's white flies and and green drakes on the water, should you be fishing? You know, are the trout going to respond after dark, continue to respond after dark? Those are big mayflies. But yeah. most of our wet flies are far bigger than would well be represented. I agree. Yeah, I just don't, I don't know, like, mm-hmm. if their visual acuity is really enough at night to represent their ability to pick between. I mean, I do think reading Bashline, he gave them more credit than I do in terms of ability to tell between red or blue or orange or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I am dubious about the trout's ability to tell between a six and an eight, like they can in the daytime when they'll pick between a dry fly pattern that's one size off, you know? Yeah, but between a four and a 10. I'm dubious too, Trevor. I'm so dubious. (laughs) I'm feeling very dubious right now. (laughs) I was wondering if you guys are feeling dubious too. The dubiosity. I don't know. That word didn't strike me. I was okay with it. Dubioso. I was an English major, smarter than you guys. That's right. Mm. <laughs> Liberally smarter. I still proofread you. <laughs> you guys have science degrees. I have a liberal arts degree. Mm. <laughs> That's right. Austin, he does. He proofreads my stuff. He texted me this evening. He's like, hey, dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> Typo. Nice. Anyway, nice. yeah. Um, mm, 
if the fly's twice as big as what's what's actually hatching, I don't think they're taking it as sure. what's actually hatching, you know? Sure. Once again, I just think way too much is made of matching the hatch. I've said that a thousand times about daylight hours, and I'm saying that about nighttime hours even more so. Yeah. That's I'll my take that. on it. Yeah. Delhi will never really know firsthand, though. But yeah. I think to his question, you can expect them to hang in that area for a while after dark. Yeah, for sure. I would think so, but I would, as we were talking about it, and you guys were giving some answers, I was also thinking that, to me, the perfect night fishing water isn't necessarily where they're going to be, not necessarily where they're going to be in the daytime. Not the bigger fish that, you know, a lot of times maybe I'm targeting. Mm-hmm. Those prime lies often are areas where they won't sit in the daytime. And we discussed that a lot in the first or second episode of this series. They go over there into some of that shallow stuff. A lot of times it barely covers their back because uh, mm-hmm. they they'll do it at night, but they feel exposed during the daytime. And yeah, the last yeah. thing I'll say, I was thinking about how, for me, especially on one of our favorite local streams, where they'll eat trico spinners is where, the, where I've, I'm always like, that's good night water, too. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And for whatever reason, when they, when they eat those trico spinners, maybe it's just where the spinners collect. Um, In the maybe it's the prevalence of them. Yeah, whatever Somewhere, it is, the yeah. trout seem to, even some bigger ones, seem to lose that inhibition during the day. Hmm. And they're like, yeah, I'll go eat there. There's a lot of interesting. The getting's good. I also don't think that when you look in the shallows or in those sort of night lies, the bait fish and the crayfish are not hanging out there in the daylight where you spotlight those shallows at night and they're mm. teeming with bait fish. Right. And sometimes you'll have crayfish moving through those. So I think a lot of it is still where the prey is, but those bigger fish are seeking a different prey sometimes than the hatch. Yeah. Totally agree with that. That's, that's a fantastic point. Um, Bill's question, one of the reasons I wanted to include it here is it, is it got us talking about bugs and what we're about to get into, the nymphs, the wets, and not necessarily, though, the harpy pushers. Um, the nymphs and the wets, often we think, anyway, oh, they're going to represent these bugs, these aquatic food forms the trout eat, and not really necessarily the crayfish and the sculpins and the dace and the small fish. Not really necessarily the bait fish. I think when we think about wet flies, hmm, am I right about that? Are you guys thinking about bugs? Or um, when when I'm thinking nymphs, I'm definitely thinking bugs. Sometimes even not then, but though. I know. If you're fishing bigger buggers and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, let's get into it. Let's do it. Let's nail down some more tactics stuff. Let's jump into nymphs first, and then we'll walk through wets and Harvey pushers. That's why we're here tonight. Again, our goal is to highlight the differences mostly. Meaning we're trying to bring up what's different about how we nymph after dark versus how we do it in the daytime. What are the unique challenges and then the solutions? Let's start with the rig, guys. What's your rig for nymphing, tight line or indicator? This is a underutilized tactic in my bag, I would say. I don't nymph a lot at night. Um, and, I, and, you know, in somewhat I'm stubborn with that because I nymph in the day. Yeah time and at nighttime I relish the opportunity to fish in different styles and tactics and yeah. so I'm it's the last thing that I'm going to do if mm-hmm. nothing else is working I'll go to nymphing and when I do that I often am lazy enough not to change my entire rig and I will just utilize what I have already going for me so I'll put a I'll either a glow in, or a white or a glow in the dark indicator on and use the same rig that I was using and overweight the nymphs to the point that I can still use that thicker leader and still get it to down to depth. Oh wow! Now, if I have 
I had nights before where I take my tight line rig or my con, you know, my mono rig out and with a tied in piece of indicator and that I will switch back and forth between streamers and the mouse emergers. And then I will nymph yeah. with that as well in a tight line type presentation. You were talking about that, doing that at, was. at uh, short distances a couple of podcasts sure. ago. Mm-hmm. And I like that rig a lot, but I, again, I'm not a nighttime nymphing aficionado. So I'll, that's all I'll say to it. For the night angler, our biggest challenge is simply knowing where the fly is and how it's drifting. That's why a glow-in-the-dark fly line is an essential tool for the modern fly angler after dark. The Rio Gold Lumalux is an excellent glow-in-the-dark fly line. We use it in sizes 5 and 6. This weight-forward line has a long head and a back taper that combines power, control, and stability. The Rio Gold Lumalux is well-suited for loading a fly rod with beefy night flies at close range, where so much of the best night fishing action happens. The Lumalux charges quickly with a flashlight and holds a strong glow for 20 to 30 minutes. The line is finished with the Rio's slick cast coating, creating a slick and durable line that lasts for years. Spool up with the Rio Lumalux glow-in-the-dark fly line and change your night game. Precision Fly and Tackle is a family-owned business with a passion for the outdoors and a sense of adventure. They are anglers who enjoy every moment spent on the water with family and friends. Precision Fly and Tackle carries the widest selection of Euro rods, reels, lines, leaders, flies, and accessories. From the beginner to the advanced angler, Precision Fly and Tackle can outfit every angler, no matter the budget. Visit them online at precisionflyandtackle.com. Then use code TROUTBITTEN10, that's the number 10, for 10% off your order. Gear up with Precision Fly and Tackle for your next adventure. Anybody else? I mean, do you, does anybody here prefer nymphing at night or do you like the other stuff better? I don't prefer it. Um, I like to do the, the different stuff at night, yeah. uh, kind of like Trevor said, because we, we watch ciders and bobbers so much during the daytime. It's fun sure. to, to do something completely different at night. But in Agreed. terms of rig, I kind of keep my standard leader on that. I'd be fishing either streamers or wets. Hmm. And I have one of those cider sections you built me, Dom, that's uh, you know two foot, let's say, of the Lumalux line. Oh, the glow-in-the-dark cider. Yeah, the glow-in-the-dark cider, exactly. And I'll just tie that right onto the end of my regular leader mm. and fish close to myself uh, with usually drop shot lightly or unweighted flies and make short drifts. But taking off the whole rig and putting on a mono rig at night is just completely different, uh, in my opinion, than during the daytime when you have 30 plus feet of line to manage and spool up and put away and then get a new uh, leader back out and put it back on and it's just too much for me. So if I'm going to nymph at night, I'll just add that uh, glow-in-the-dark cider to my regular. That's a good way to do it because now you're already, what, eight feet, seven or eight feet away from the end of your fly line. Yeah, and I won't have much of that out my guides anyhow, probably. Right? And then beyond your glow-in-the-dark cider, you have what? I'd say tippet. Four, oh, like tippet size? Well, yeah, some kind of, whatever, tippet size and length, approximately. Yeah, I don't know, three or two X or between OX and three X probably. Yeah. And then between four and five feet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a good way to do it, Austin, I think. To be honest, I've never done it that way. I usually do make that full change. And I complained mm. about it last week or maybe two weeks ago. I said, it. I agree with you. It oh, takes, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it's longer to do it at night than during the day. I feel like in the day, I can do it in a minute, minute and a half. I don't care. I'll change leaders. But at night, something, 
there's always a little, you know, something gets hung up on your vest or whatever. You don't, it's not as fast. You're in the dark. So I do avoid it a little bit more. I like what you're doing there, Austin. I've never done that. I don't think I would feel like I'm being handicapped by a little bit of the fly line that's out of there because you're close enough anyway. And Josh, you brought this up when we hit on nymphing a few podcasts ago that a lot of times you're fishing like, well, not right under your rod tip, but very close where any leader or line sag isn't going to matter. When we were talking about drifting and swinging, that's when you brought that up. Like it's a close range game. Yeah. So there's not necessarily a reason or a need to, to switch all the way over to a pure, like a full contact rig, mono rig yeah. system. What I'm doing is really similar. And maybe, maybe I'm just misunderstanding. Maybe this is exactly what you're saying you do, Austin. You know, about halfway down my night leader, mine goes from my fly line to 20 pound. And then I've got a small tippet ring where I make an adjustment down to 15 and then I tie on 12. And that's how it generally goes. And that small tippet ring is where I usually cut off if I'm going to make the switch because then it goes instead of straight to that 12 pound or that 15 and then 12 where my flies are going to be, it goes 15 down to a short stretch of that glow-in-the-dark cider. But I'm adding about eight feet to what I would do. And so it's a much shorter switch out because it's a really short coil. And I've got like an old chameleon spool that has the night nymphing leader on it. And it's I'm only adding eight feet to the original, but it keeps all of that fly line inside the guides just enough that that I don't have to worry about it. Because you're close. Yeah, exactly. When I'm nymphing at night, I'm close. Austin, do you do exactly that way? Or you just put it on right, you just tie that night sider on right where you would tie your fly. Yeah, right where that point fly would be is pretty yeah. much where the night sider would end up. No, you've ruined the taper, but it doesn't matter. Because no, that night sider yeah. is already thicker than, you know, what would... Yeah, you're already backwards when you put yeah, the night sider exactly, in. a little bit, right. And that taper doesn't matter. And we're saying we're using like 10 or 12, sometimes 15 pound chameleon for the tippet in our regular setup, which we've addressed before. That's a neat idea. Honestly, I'm going to do that more. There are going to be times when I want to go full mono rig at night and do what I, well, what I used to do. (laughs) I'm telling you, I'm changing. I'm going to do what you did (laughs) and what you just suggested. I love it. Anyway, you mentioned drop shot, Austin. I, I really like drop shot at night and I felt like it changed the game for me. I've told you guys this in person. We've talked about it. For me, learning to drop shot was one of those key moments where I went, ooh, I could use this at night. This would really make sense. I like that because it gives me the most contact and most control over the flies and where they're going to be in the water. Well, we're not going to go over drop shot. This isn't a drop shot podcast, but go look it up. We're talking about having, you know, the weight on the end, and that's that's what's on the bottom. And I want to touch the bottom with the shot, and then the flies are up above, right? I like that slightly overweighted system then, so I can feel that shot on the bottom. And yeah, I got the glow-in-the-dark cider in there in whatever leader system, which again, I think we're saying is not all that important at night when you're close. So I'm seeing the cider jump a little bit and slow down, and I see my angles on the cider, and then I can feel it with a drop shot. I love that. I can choose to keep the nymphs far above the trout too. I often will ride that first nymph like, 12 inches above the drop shot, which I don't do during the day. I don't necessarily want that bottom nymph, let's say, in the strike zone. I want it higher. And I'll often use two flies, and that upper fly could be pretty close to the surface even. I know you've got, you guys have done that when I've been around. And um, I night fished long enough and did the, all the ways that we have already addressed. And then I had so many slow nights and so many times, especially, you know, and let's say the off seasons and not the 
peak seasons. Um, I had so many times where trout just would not respond to all the other stuff I was doing. And I said, man, I, why? I bet they'd eat just like they would in the daytime if I would mm. just present it to them. So I started doing that. And there are a few things that are a little bit different in the rig, which we just addressed. And then, Josh, you were saying that when you nymph at night, you'll go a little bit bigger on those nymphs? Yeah, honestly. And, and I think that even at night, generally, I'm not really thinking of them as bugs. I know that, I know that sometimes that is the case yeah. when we're experimenting and going smaller. But the go-to is always pretty big, you know, size four mm-hmm. a lot. Like I'll use like size four stoneflies and things like that. Stuff Stones. that could very well imitate a crayfish or a mm-hmm. sculpin or something like that, you know? Almost a girdle bug. Like I'll use bigger chenille. I won't use the fine stuff. Like I'll right have on. longer fibered stuff. Um, mm, good idea. Yeah, just something that has. Yeah, you want movement there. More meatiness, yeah, and kind of movement. Woolly worms, which is a woolly bugger without the tail. There you go. You know, yeah. I in my experience, they don't need to be complicated. I'm with you yeah. guys. I like to go bigger. And let's say the, it's an inch, inch and a half, maybe even two inches long. If I start to get longer than that, I feel like I'm, going to be calling it a streamer and I start to just want to do streamer kind of things with it. Yeah. You can put it on a drop shot rig. You can put two streamers above that and see what happens. Do you find that color matters? Yeah, I definitely go darker. What about you guys? As dark as I can or like white. Yeah, that's the other thing. Mm, That's cool. Yeah, pretty much emulate the same color patterns that our our streamers and other uh, night flies are. Night flies, yeah. Yeah. it's pretty much dark for us, but then I know we all like to build some accent, you know, colors and, and flash or whatever into into all of our patterns or most of them. Um, I think a little bit of flash matters, especially on those moonlit nights or those mm-hmm. brighter nights. I do. I think a yeah, little bit of flash matters. And we've talked about red. It's I don't know. magic color. It seems, it seems to make a difference. I remember using a Montreal. Uh, again, that was in Bashline's book. And I just had... There were nights when it just seemed like that color was making a difference. Uh, professor, well, now we're getting into wet fly colors and wet flies and stuff, but I'm just thinking, because we're bringing it up, about the different colors. We're generally saying like dark, usually. But these accent colors, again, like yellow, I don't know if yellow, if I b- believe a whole lot in yellow, but the professor is yellow and that's a uh, yellow wet fly. I don't know. There he is. What's, uh, what, what are you getting out, bud? Yeah. Trevor's getting out Bashline's book. I have I have so many earmarked pages in this, but I've yeah. always earmarked kind of what he believed were important colors for nighttime. Mm-hmm. And red was always on that list. Yeah. Um, blue and purple mm-hmm. were other ones that he mentioned. And, and we've certainly found red and purple, I think, to be consistently effective, but I think we've also fished them a lot. So I, I can't say that we're the end-all, be-all, but... Yeah, the fly you um, fish a lot is going to be more effective than the fly you fish a little. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's always the case, exactly. isn't it? I like that silver doctor, and that's not, mm-hmm. I don't think, because of the color. It's the flash. The whole body is flash. Mm-hmm. Yep. And there you go. In that book that you have in your hand there, Trevor, he talks about mm-hmm. light conditions in different different parts of the season. I think he says he liked yeah. the silver doctor in the fall for whatever reason. Yep, he does. He lays out even times of the year that he likes them better. Yep. Yeah, and early in the season, it's it's a professor, which is a yellow-bodied fly. Interesting stuff. I don't know. I will say at night, I think the color is the least important element to me. But I do want it dark or, like you said, Josh, I, I want it white. And I mentioned that I carry most of my patterns 
in a, I didn't used to, but now I carry them in a white version. Not nearly as many. Let's say the five to one, you know, usually black with those accent colors. I like a, a red hot spot or some red flashaboo or whatever it is, you know, sometimes you guys use a brush. What's the Pendragon brush? I've got it right here. It has some accent. That's the UV black, right? MFC. Mm-hmm. Has a little purplish. Yep. There's one that we use with a little bit of red. There's one with a little bit of purple. Yep. This is the the polar fiber. What is it exactly? What do you guys use then for usually use for that Pendragon? Yeah. It's Josh it's, has that in his hand. Yeah, this is what I use for the Pendragon always. Right on. Yeah, this is black polar fiber and it's got like a it's got like a little bit of a UV blue in it. Yeah, it does. But but it's, the brush underneath looks, is always red that I use. Mm-hmm. Like not the brush, but the the uh the UV dub. Yeah, or, I mean dub, the uh, the yeah, ice dub. Yeah, the ice dub for the underbody is always red. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get an official pattern from you guys because you're always goofing around with it. Well, at least Trevor is. Yeah, that's me. Mine's been <laughs> since the beginning. Josh is pretty uh, religious about his fly pattern. So anyway, across the board, color-wise, I mean, nymphs, wets, topwater, mousy mergers, streamers. We're on the same page then? Yeah. Mostly dark, sometimes, sometimes white. Yeah. Accent yep. colors. Yeah, I don't think the, uh, I'm not trying to, dial them in on a on the perfect color of my nymph right <laughs> no i will say i've used some of the same nymphs that i would during the daylight i remember having a, a good night around that same time that that sulfur hatch was happening because i was fishing like three or four nights a week back then and i remember just i was going well i'm gonna fish a beadhead pheasant tail because i fish those all the time during the day and i caught fish on them and i would usually have it be my upper fly maybe i should have had it be my bottom fly more often i was not drop shotting at all, I don't think back then. Um, maybe that would have made a difference too. But I mean, I caught fish on a number 14 pheasant tail. I'd say that was about as small as I ever fished and therefore as small as I ever caught them on. Like Josh said, if you don't put it on your line, you're not going to catch them. Favorite nymph size for me, I suppose, is like Josh said, like four or six. I, well, the hook size isn't as important as the length. And I'm just saying sure. inch, inch and a half, two inches is kind of max for me, but I'm not going much uh, smaller than like a half inch on a nymph yep same i'll go that small as as small as a half inch if Mm -hmm. it's in conjunction with a streamer like with a big fly Mm -hmm. sometimes my point fly will be i use these little like black and red they're they're like they're not a silver doctor but they're not a but they're not a montreal they're like Mm -hmm. maybe they're just called black and reds Hmm. they're uh they're these little wet flies that are only about half inch to three quarters of an inch that i really like in front of the streamer in front of the pendragon in particular I like that. So we can kind of nymph anywhere. And that's why I wanted to start doing it. It's because, well, I wanted to hit some of that faster water. You know, that the tactics we've already talked about don't work so well in the faster stuff. And I've found trout in the winter right in those, well, those faster pockets, but the softer pieces of those faster pockets in the winter, I mean. And I was. I was fishing right through the winter. I know you guys have too. And it's slower. <laughs> so I was really trying to find something that would work. And for me, uh, nymphing became that thing that kept me in the game. Did you ever nymph an egg at night in the winter? I did. I, I couldn't catch fish on it. Because, you know, the egg Just bite curious. all the way through the winter for us in yeah. the daytime, right? I'm not going to say I caught no. I don't remember Austin ever catching a fish. I certainly never had a night where I went, man, they're on that egg. Right, yeah. Even okay. though they certainly were during the daytime. And, man, I can't tell you why. They should be able to see it. Mm, I don't know. Right. But Austin, I never tied a black egg. 
<laughs> Didn't even think Sounds of dumb, doesn't it? <laughs> but maybe that's what I needed maybe to do. The, maybe that's, maybe it. that's it. I don't know. I tried glow-in-the-dark eggs and, and things like that. I had glow-in-the-dark yarn. I tried, you know, you can buy like acrylic beads that are glow-in-the-dark, and I tried putting those on yeah. there and a little bit of material, <laughs> like for a veil. I tried that kind of stuff. Mm. Didn't seem to work. But, man, I need, you need a lot more data than what I had. Even in, I felt like I was fishing a lot, but it's not enough to say much of anything. Any other nymphing tips, guys? Nah. For nighttime? Go out there and try it. Anybody listening? I mean, I agree. It's not my first thing that I want to do. I do think it's the most difficult thing to do well at night. Let's say you're trying to get dead drifts most of the time on a nymph, because if you're imitating these relatively small food forms, um, they're not going to move around a lot. Well, for all the things that we talk about when, when we're nymphing during the day, it's tough to achieve at night. Certainly use something glow-in-the-dark. Trevor said he'd like to use the bobber sometimes. Think I'm a bobber, glow-in-the-dark bobbers. You charge them up, you can see them. These guys say you can't see them as well as I think I, I was remembering <laughs> that I can. I don't know. I have I better a different luck with batch. just a white one. I, I have a, a lot better. Batch. I can, I can see serious? a white one a lot better than I can. Oh, I got to give you one. some of my glow-in-the-dark thing with bobbers. Although I don't use them much. I really don't. Once I started doing the glow-in-the-dark cider with the drop shot, that's my system for nymphing at night. And I love nymphing during the day. You go out there, and then I will say, I would, I'll throw some bigger stuff on there too. I'll throw a pair of number two yeah. woolly buggers with the tail. Not just woolly worms, but buggers with the tail. And I remember Humphreys writing about that in Trout Tactics, you know, two big buggers on like a nymphing rig, on a mono rig. That's what he called it, on a mono rig at night. And I've done that. And they ripped into the tail fly, Austin. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> now you're catching fish. Now you're catching them. That's right. Hey, let's move into some wet flies then. Let's talk about it. Uh, what's your wet fly rig look like? Leader, what are you doing? I use the same setup as I do for fishing streamers. This guy, just he's, he's that yeah. confident. He's like, I'm not I'm, changing anything. No, I don't change anything. Same stuff. Um, some of that's because I don't fish very small wet flies. Um, there have been a few nights where I've switched out my entire leader for like a 10-pound um, down to an 8-pound mm. and just done a lighter, a lighter version of my 20 to 15-pound, which is what my standard rig is. Yeah. Um, but... Typically, I'm going to fish on point anything from a size two to maybe a two aught, you know, so a pretty big Ooh, wet fly. Big. And then my tag fly might be anywhere from a size six to a size two, somewhere in that range. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, a fairly decent size. I think what I question is, you know, you're not going to get as much motion in the fly with the thicker leader. So I've, I've debated changing that out. Also, your sink rate's going to be a little bit impaired, but I also am not trying to fish deep with them. So I, I've A-B tested a little bit, but I've had good success at night with a pair of wets on my standard mouse emerger slash streamer mm-hmm. leader. So I use the I same one too. I was going to say Trevor fishes beefier wet flies than I've ever seen at night. Well, the two odd. <laughs> I don't think I've done two odd, but I have like one odd. I'm not. I mean, and I fish the. I fish ones and twos quite a bit. Yeah. On that point. Yeah. Yeah. I. I. I'm like you. I do the same. I use the same leader. I will say, if I go, you know, smaller up to, or smaller with the wet flies, I'll change that tippet section. And again, we're saying tippet, but I'll go from twelve twelve pound chameleon down to ten or even eight pound chameleon. Another thing you can do, especially for the tag fly, which I often like 
to be a smaller fly. Um, I'll clip off what was a 12 pound tag and I would just uni knot on what we call an add on line mm-hmm. to that leader with a uni knot, uh, whatever, as thin a diameter as I want it to be, maybe 2x. That's what 12, That's cool. is, 12 is light to me. Like I, I very rarely, I yeah. very rarely fish under 15 pounds at, that, at the night. terminal point. Like yeah. sometimes it's 20 all the way down to the flies. Honestly, Are you serious? 20? Yeah. Some, depending on the river. It's yeah. Big balls. My terminal is almost always 12. I'm, I'm, I very <laughs> rarely go under 15, but wow. wet flies, wet flies are 12 for me. I guess occasionally 10 huh. for like the tag, but very rarely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Only going after the big ones. Honestly, I mean, I, I think we all do pretty well. And I think the interesting thing here, I think just what it proves is that it doesn't matter that much at mm-hmm. night. And I that agree. motion, Probably. that's fair. What Trevor said, I mean, that that's fair, dude. I mean, mm-hmm. there, you're going to get a little bit more motion, especially on that number six. Does it matter? Probably not. Probably not. Yeah, it depends on the fly, too. Go ahead. So if you're fishing a lighter fly, like a lighter wet fly, you're not going to impart nearly as much motion because of the stiffness of a heavier tackle. But if you're yeah. fishing a, a heavier wet fly or a, a lightly weighted streamer, it's going to move more freely because it can kind of boss that tackle around a little bit more. So, Whether it's after a fishing trip or at a backyard fire, you can bet the Trout Bitten crew has a case of new trail broken heels along with us. It's honestly our favorite beer. This hazy IPA is smooth and full-bodied. Hand-selected citra hops lead to notes of bright clementine and juicy ruby red grapefruit. Broken Heels is a keeper. New Trail Beer is proudly brewed in Williamsport, Pennsylvania and delivered cold to your favorite craft beer retailer every week. At New Trail, it's not about being the best angler. It's about getting out there. So enjoy nature's moments and reward yourself for a day well fished with New Trail Broken Heels. It's Trout Bitten's favorite beer. For over a decade, Smith Creek has designed innovative, high-quality fly fishing accessories made to put your gear in easy reach, free up your hands, and keep our waters clean. Check out the all-new tippet holder. Each unit is individually machined from billet aluminum and anodized in two eye-catching colors. They hold up to five tippet spools with a spring-loaded plunger that is quick and easy to use. The brand-new Rod Clip Plus comes with a stiff 304 steel pin and integrated carabiner clip, giving you two ways to attach it to your vest or pack. All Smith Creek products are built guide tough and backed by solid customer service. To learn more about Smith Creek products, visit their website at smithcreek.co. There's movement built into these wet flies themselves too. And they're going to move yeah. no matter if they have the flexibility to the tippet. <laughs> I keep saying tippet um, or not. They're going to move, you know? Yeah. So wet flies, what's a really common wet fly that everybody could just kind of reference? Maybe everybody doesn't know what a governor, a professor, a silver doctor. Silver you know? doctor, yeah. Does everybody yeah. know what those are out there listening? I don't, do you honestly, think? anymore. I, I think gray it's ghost. pretty rare to know. You guys know that one? Gray ghost. No, that's, yeah. that's gray a streamer. Ghost. Yeah, that's oh, a streamer. Yeah, yeah this guy doesn't even know. He uses 20 pounds. The spider. The black spider. No, spiders are different too. Yeah. Nighthawk. Nighthawk. Everybody should know what the uh, <laughs> what the uh, doctor, <laughs> the doctor Dr. Smith, Smith is. <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean... There you go. Hey, look at yeah, it. He's holding go. it up. Yeah. Junk fly. Look at that thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Junk fly. <laughs> look at that thing. Nah, I mean, we're just talking traditional wets, you know? Not long tails. Yeah. You know, there's not these long marabou tails or anything like that. You can use a uh, matched set of wings. They could be mallard flank that's uh, rolled mallard flank for the wing. 
they're traditional wets. And I mean, we've said this before, but like learn the wet fly techniques during the day and then transfer them over to the night game. Yeah, I mean, this, definitely. It, it's the same with nymphing, right? Like you cannot learn this stuff at night. For example, like we have to see what the line and the leader are really doing to understand how the currents are affecting everything. I think we take that for granted during the daytime. But again, like you think about your wet fly presentation, you got an eight, nine foot leader on there. And then you're casting across or slightly down and across or slightly up and across. And then the, the current is going to do some of that work for you. That's what we're trying to get to happen. We're not trying to get a dead drift on our wet flies if we're swinging them, which is what we're usually doing. So when you're looking to see kind of what that line is doing, like you're, like you're saying now, are you relying on the end of your glow uh, fly line? Do you yeah. have a, a cider built into that? Or how do you like to keep that um, awareness of what the flies are doing throughout the, throughout the swing? Well, the first thing is you know, how, you know what it looks like during the day. So you have a reference, right? You, in, your mind, in your mind's eye, you're imagining what it really looks like. But then, yeah, I'm using a glow-in-the-dark line. Yeah. You guys, what are you doing? Yeah, I'm watching the tip of that glow in the dark line. And I don't want, yeah. I, I want a gentle swing at night. I don't want an mm. aggressive swing. I don't want that tail to whip um, because I want it to be easy for the trout to track mm-hmm. and and find and eat. And so I, when I, and I think I mentioned this before, but I cast a wet fly rig I'd like to cast slightly quartering downstream and I will put a couple men's typically towards the bank into that presentation as it's drifting out just to prevent any bowing because the, the, the current closer to myself is typically faster than it is at bank side. And so what can happen is you can get a big U in your line that will then eventually release that tip and whip it, you know, and so those wet flies are accelerating through the drift and then close to where you actually want your presentation to be, they're going as fast as they're ever going to go. And so those couple men's bank side are just going to basically keep your line in a straight line more and kind of just slowly swing it out away from the bank. And that's what I want because I want a fish that's looking at those flies or hearing them or locating them from the bank to be able to follow them out. And then, you know, a little, a little bit of a swing is great. That's honestly one of the more effective movements that they're keying in on but i just i don't want i don't want it to whip yeah those those men's allow you to really just control the speed yeah faster or slower sometimes i'll go faster sometimes i i'll mend mm. well a little bit downstream and get that belly going downstream to get things yeah. to pick up a little bit in the slowest water and slow i like water, to hang yeah. them too after that swings uh finished when they're right down below me, like we were talking about the wiggle and hang on the mouse He's emerger trolling. concept. He's trolling. Do the same thing with the wets. <laughs> but instead of the wiggle and hang, I'll drop the rod tip so that those uh, mm. wets can kind of stay within That's the nice. surface film or just below it. That's and nice. then move them slightly and then retrieve them with a the hand twist retrieve six inches at a time and pause them. And then do that a few times and pick up and swing again and, and try again. And that can be really effective. That's patience, man. I don't know. It, I have anticipation. So maybe it's because mm. it's worked for me that I ex- almost expect it could be a, a likely um, a likely way to catch something. I'm not feeling bored or feeling like, ah, no, I'm man, with you. six inches at a time here. It's, it's fun. I'm with you. I think it is fun. You guys ever just like when you're doing something like that, like where you don't really need to try to be looking at where your fly is and maybe looking at your glow. You, you ever say just, close your eyes. 
I was going to say close your eyes. Yeah. Or <laughs> <laughs> you ever just look up at the sky, just look at the stars. Mm-hmm. I do that a lot, especially when I'm fishing wets. I lose focus if I look up, but oh, I do close you? my eyes all the time. Close your eyes. Make it even more dark. I definitely don't do that all the time. I don't close my <laughs> eyes too much. I do that all the time when I'm night fishing. Wow. I just close my eyes and just imagine it and feel it. You're advanced. Well, that's the next, yeah. Honestly, that's, it can help you prevent the, <laughs> next the quick rip out of their mouth, you know. Whatever that takes. I mean, that, that's important. Mm-hmm. I do think because these wet flies don't have big tails on them that I get fewer of those refusals. Yeah. When they eat a wet fly, it seems like they eat it. I mean, does it seem ever subtle to you though? Like I feel like sometimes on a wet fly drift, especially if it's swung out the whole way, mm. I sometimes won't know right away. Like if my, yeah. if I'm in the middle of the swing, I'll see that glow in the dark section straighten out and, and that's my sign, you know? And so that quick straightening, I kind of know that there's a fish and it could be hung up on something, but typically it's a fish. But at the end of the drift, I've had a couple, I've, I would say not just a couple, I'd say a fair amount on wet yeah. flies where it tightens up a little bit and I'm not yeah. really sure what's going on. And I sort of raise my rod mm-hmm. just to be met with an explosion. You know, it's not like they don't know, they don't know their hat until, until I kind of am realizing it at the same time. I like that. Yeah. It's, it's sure. a very different take than it is with the mouse emerger versus the, you know, where it's a pretty aggressive take. It is. Like we said, there's nothing like that topwater take. And the emerger is real, real similar a lot of times. But yeah, I'm very surprised. Like you, Trevor, a lot of times. Just mm-hmm. like, ooh, there's fish there. Sometimes right, there's a little right. tap. Just the, yeah. just yeah, the yeah, smallest exactly. tap. You can feel yeah. that. And that's exciting. It is. That's what I was talking about, too. Those little taps that you have to wait or that I was finding I had oh, to wait yeah. for. Yeah. Tap, tap, tap. Uh, and then it's almost like bass fishing if you've ever done that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes bass won't, sw- uh, won't slam a fly. They'll just come up and peck at it a little bit. And right you got to give them a second to get a hold of it. You can feel it even better with your eyes closed. <laughs> <laughs> Keeps me focused. Let the boy watch. <laughs> <laughs> Let the boy watch. <laughs> All right, and that was the night fishing season. Hope you all enjoyed. And, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, you get out of here. You get out of here. You get out of here. You guys, what about water types then with the wets? Cover that real quick. So I fished wets a lot the other night, and I was reminded of it that it can be a little bit challenging in really slow water. Mm. Um you know, to your point about making downstream mends to sort of speed up a presentation, it can really crawl, you know, where those really slack water or bank lies sometimes can be perfect. The water that I would see is perfect for the mm-hmm. mouse emerger. Sometimes can be too slow for a, for what I would consider a really great that. wet fly drift. So, yep, yep. Um, yeah, you got to kind of change your mindset a little bit on that. I do feel like I can fish wets almost anywhere. Mm-hmm. But not as much as a streamer. I feel like sure. I seriously have confidence with the streamer in any water on the river. Wets is kind of next for me. And then I suppose those Harvey pushers, which we'll talk about in a second. And then, yeah, the top water and the merger stuff. I want slower, slower pieces. Some of my favorite nights through the years, as, as I think back, are those nights where I was switching between one tactic to the next. I, I get to the top of a 
one of my favorite sections and I go, oh, here's some really slow stuff. I'm going to fish whatever, top water. Oh, this is some great bank water. I'm going to hit top water. Oh, I'm getting into the tail out. I'm going to put some wets on. And then I get into some faster stuff and I maybe I put some streamer, streamers on. Yeah. I could do other things, obviously. Totally. But then I get to like a long flat that has a nice glidey current to it. And I go, oh, this would be great for pushers. And, you know, and then you kind of catch fish on all the tactics mm-hmm. and it just, oh man, it's just perfect. That's really cool. I <laughs> love yeah. that stuff. That's but I really like changing, cool. you know, I really do. I like changing stuff. And on some of those nights, yeah, I've, I've changed to a full contact nymphing rig and, and picked some fish out of some of the fastest stuff you could find. And ah, I love that stuff. Yeah. There's something kind of special about night fishing there in that it feels like during the day, you can't always actually do that. Like during the day, I can't always count on, I'm going to put on wets and I'm going to be successful or I'm going to put on a streamer and I'm going to be successful. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes that's the case, but it feels like at night, if, if the fish are eating at all, it's yeah. like you could probably get them to take what you're doing. If you, if you just keep cycling through. If you got the right water type. Yeah. Yeah. And the right tactic. Yeah. When we're fishing those wets, guys, like how deep, that's kind of conditional, I understand. Mm-hmm. Mid-column and up for me, usually. Right on. I'm not trying yeah. to get all the way to the bottom. Yeah. With the wet. Nah. I think that's the point to make. Yeah, I agree with that. With the wet fly, you're asking them to come up. But I don't know if we've mentioned this. I think for us, making sure that we keep the fly above the fish is one of the most important things. We want them to be able to see it, silhouette against the sky. It doesn't really matter what the fly type is. I said even for my nymphs, I want them up a little bit higher. There's one thing that will change that for me is when I fish a streamer in tandem with a wet. So if I put a streamer on the uh, the point and a mm-hmm. wet on the tag, sometimes I will fish that streamer pretty close to the bottom, and I'll fish yeah. that uh, fish that wet also in the bottom third of the column, I'd say, too. And depending on the night and depending on the type of wet, it can be successful. But overall, usually I'm in the top top uh, half of the water column. Yeah. Good yeah. You've got that low and slow approach during the day a lot, too. Which is different than the yeah, way I usually fish streamers. Sort of does transfer that way. You're right. And he's got the patience to just hang flies there and stare at the sky. <laughs> 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 you guys see a shooting star almost every night. Josh, you and I talked about that. Yeah, we did. I, I, was, I was saying that if it's a clear night, I've, mm-hmm. I can't remember many night fishing nights that I didn't see at least one. That you don't see one, yep. Almost yeah, every clear, that's yep. cool. I've talked to people who have like, oh, I, I I saw one shooting star in my life. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, seen, <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> seriously, I've seen hundreds. <laughs> Almost every night you go out. Um, yeah, they're way more common than you think. You just have if to spend not, the time looking up. That's right. You just got to look up. I love stargazing. Mm-hmm. We do that. The Leonids. You guys ever go out? That's what. It's like right about now, isn't it? Is it? It's in September. The Leonid. Uh, I don't even know shower. that word you just said. Comes out of the it comes out of Leo, comes out of the oh. constellation. Oh, the Leo. Leo. Oh, the Leonids. Right. Shut up. <laughs> you guys come over. We'll have a That's Leonid what I'm doing party. after this. Yeah. We'll, Let's go stargazing together. We'll fellas. drink some new trail and uh, have a Leon party. <laughs> hey now, they have a stargazer us. beer. We can bring it. Do they really? Oh, it's so good. Fantastic. I bet the brewers know about the Leonids. They probably do. Huh. <laughs> no kidding. You guys don't. You guys are so, so sheltered. <laughs> Don't know anything. Stargazer. Anything else about the wets? Let's not get off track. Come on. Come on now. Anything else? Wet flies? RV pusher. Let's do it then. All right. Mm. Let's talk about one of pusher. Right. Let's talk about one more type of fly that we use out there. It's the last thing we're really going to address in this night fishing skills series. We've set this one aside kind of in its own category because it's really unique. And we're about to 
We're going to talk about the Harvey Pusher Nightfly. Uh, there, now, there's a lot of legend that comes with this fly, and it has quite a history, and it's well known in the Pennsylvania night fishing community, which I guess really, how big is that? <laughs> Do we know everybody Enormous. who night fishes around Probably. here? <laughs> no, of course not. But I mean, we know a bunch of them. Anyway, the average, let's say, dedicated night angler has maybe heard of the Harvey Pusher, but probably hasn't fished one. Hmm. Um, because there's just not much information about this fly out there at all. But just last week, Josh and I published a full article and video, including a tying tutorial on the Harvey Pusher. And by the time this podcast goes, that, uh, that video is out. So go check that out. It's good stuff. And so instead of walking through all of that here, through the history of it, because I think that's valuable to understand those things about the pusher, um, go check it out. Please go check out the video. Read the article too. There's a lot more information there for you than we're going to go through here. And at least go load up that article and video right now so you can see a picture of the fly that we're going to talk about. Because it's really different. If you haven't seen the Harvey pusher, you're not going to imagine what it looks like <laughs> uh, by me describing it. But George Harvey developed the pusher sometime in the early 1970s. He said it was far and away his best night fly. Joe Humphreys um, said the same, and he caught the fish that he's most known for, the state record fly caught trout of, what was it, Austin, you would know, is it 34 inches and 16 pounds? Yeah, I think that's right on. Right? I think I have that right. Dude, I caught a striper the other day, you guys know this, and it was yeah. like seven or eight pounds. I can't imagine a trout. <laughs> it was 16 pounds. That just wow. dawned on me. It was twice as big as the striper that I caught, and I thought that striper was pretty big. Anyway, Humphreys caught that state record on the pusher, and he'll tell you all about it. Hmm. Um, and countless other locals and regional guys uh, named the pusher as one of their go-to patterns. And it's def definitely made its way around the world. I had a guy from Iceland emailing me about his pusher nightfly. That's awesome. How he was using it. And he tied it a little bit differently, but this was about a year or so ago. And again, he found the pusher through one of the night fishing articles that I have on Troutbit. I mean, that's crazy. Hmm. Made it clear over to Iceland. <laughs> anyway, it's a, it's a wet fly. It really is. The, the, the pusher is a wet fly. It's tied on hook sizes of around, well, small as four, but then down to like four aught. That's what Harvey says, right? And that puts yeah. its length at somewhere around one inch or an inch and a half to about three inches long, but not really much bigger than three, three and a half, even those big hooks. Because again, this doesn't have a big tail. Again, go look at it and understand what we're talking about. But the wingspan of this fly is just as wide as the fly's length. Now, we don't usually think about a wingspan when we're thinking about a fly, but right. that's the point of this pusher. We got to talk about the wings real quick. The pusher is basically a woolly worm with big wings attached to the side that flex and then push water as the flies are worked through that water. The wings are the breast feathers from a goose, a duck, or a pheasant, and those wings are kind of cupped. That's why you use the breast feathers. They're, they're, they, they're scooped or kind of concave. And again, they grab that water and then push it forward. It's a really unique look. And the wings flex, and then they spring back into position, moving that water around the fly. And, of course, the trout with their lateral line sense that. It's a deadly design and a really unique thing in the fly fishing world. So the Harvey Pusher provides a profile like no other fly. Mm -hmm. What did I miss there, guys? What else about the Pusher? What did I miss? What makes that fly so special? Well, I think it's cool. I think it's just – I do think that the the design is – to create a wake, you know, it's, it's designed to make noise in the water. Yeah. I think that's one of the special aspects about it at nighttime 
in a time when the fish are using vibration to identify and locate prey. And he always tied them really meaty. You know, they're a thick fly. Yeah. They're not a delicate fly. But yeah, they just, they don't look like anything else. So they're kind of, it's kind of cool. It is. Aside from the wings themselves, like the body is just like Trevor just said, the body is really bushy because it's like a, it's like, like a woolly worm, but it's unique in that by adding those wings, you're adding a lot of resistance. And so it becomes, mm. it, it rides more shallow than you would expect mm-hmm. like a any kind of woolly worm or woolly bugger to do. And mm-hmm. so you get like the movement and the bushiness and all of that surface area of that kind of fly, but it naturally wants to ride higher in the water column, which is excellent yeah, for night point. fishing. That's true. Yeah, it can kind of lift. Yeah. yeah, right on. You can get them fishing right under the surface. I've done really yeah. well with Harvey. It's just a single heart. Yeah. Just a single yep. pusher that's riding right under the surface. In uh, Humphrey's book, Trout Tactics, he talks quite a bit about the pusher in his night fishing section. And he talks about using um, heavier wire, heavier like 2X, 3X, 4X heavy wire, like salmon fly hooks and stuff, because he, he didn't want them close to the surface all the time. He wanted to get them deeper. Mm-hmm. I've tried putting split shot. I've tried putting, I mentioned this in the video, I've, I've even tried putting lead wraps on the hook, it changes the performance of the fly. So I don't do that anymore. And I go back to what Humphrey said to do. If you want them heavier, if you do want to get deeper, use a heavier wire hook and mm-hmm. use a couple flies then. And so, sure. well, we often fish two wets and two, two flies a lot of times when we're fishing at night. I do the same thing with the pusher. I'm often using two pushers. And uh, it just has to do with what part of the water column that I want to fish it. Yeah, you can feel it. I mean, you mm-hmm. can feel the vibration. Even Good in the line. Point. I mean, it's obvious that it's doing something different than just a classic set of two wets. You know, they swing almost without impedance. Um, but mm-hmm. the, the pusher, my goodness, you feel, you just feel that light vibration in the fly line. Especially if you close your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> He's on tonight. <laughs> He's just got one joke he keeps repeating. It's <laughs> <That's> what I do. <laughs> Stick with it while it's working. <laughs> ride it out till it doesn't get laughs anymore <laughs> thank you good night yeah i'm out <laughs> that's right i'm out <laughs> trevor you caught a real nice fish uh on friday when we were out on a pusher fly what what tactics or how are you fishing that fly when it ate no that was stocked he's stuck yeah yeah he's fishing stocky Tr- yeah. trout pond yeah. yeah um default joke number two default yeah. joke number two. <laughs> be, stocked, could you be nice i'm funny he's hitting all the cheap <laughs> jokes <tonight. laughs> Um, I came we were coming across a section of water that I felt pretty confident held a fish I'd been helping the guys film the pusher video and I was just kind of in a mindset that I wanted to fish the pusher and one thing I like about that fly is that while you can cover water you're also you can be sure that you're sort of you are broadcasting to fish in that area that there's a fly, there's a, you know, there's something there. So I was swinging the fly, I was swinging the pusher and I was casting to the bank. So I had, let's say I had like this rectangular area that I was working in. I was, I kept casting to the bank kind of a little bit downstream and then just swinging it out through that region. And, um, this particular fish ate right at the, it was probably 60 degrees downstream of where I was standing. Um, if I was facing the bank and he ate pretty aggressively. Yeah. So the fly was riding really, I I could actually see 
disturbance on the surface from the fly um, as I was swinging it. So I could see just like a wake just under the surface and the fish came up and ate pretty aggressively with a splashy eat and just kind of blew up on it. So it was pretty exciting. I, I think he ate a lot like he does for the, he would have for a mouse emerger mm. just because that's, that's the level in the column at which it was fishing. Um, and then I set the hook. Yeah. And then I set the hook. I didn't need to set the hook. The fish set the hook on himself. Yeah, um, they do that. But, and I was just fishing a single fly at that point, just mm. the, yeah. the single pusher. Um, and part of that was because it was a shallower section of water and I was, I didn't want to hang up in my swinging through that section. So I just had the one fly on, just kept it simple. Um, nice. and just was kind of working the water pretty thoroughly, but I, I love it. I, I really like the pusher a lot. I, I have a lot of confidence in it. I've done well with it whenever I've fished it. Um, I like, I still like the mouse emerger and our pen dragon the best. It's just my hands down favorite night fly, but I really do like, I, I like the pusher because it, I can swing a fly. So use a different tactic. And yet I feel like I'm getting some of the advantages of the mouse emerger concept, Agreed. which is that location, that location finding ability, that disturbance in the water, a little meteor fly, etc. It's not too big either. Even the no, biggest no. Of, of pushers is not as big as uh, your biggest, well, even your medium-sized pen dragons. It's honestly right. not. But it has a wingspan. <laughs> it does. It's unmatched. But those things lay down in the water. You know, like they don't stay at the same angle that you tie them at. In the current. No, that's those fair. Are, that's yeah, fair. you're right. Like they're, and I've okay. watched them in the daytime. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, while it still maintains a little bit of width, I mean, it's way, way less than the tide it's profile. When given, it's when they're given slack that they snap back into place. There you of. go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mentioned this in the video. You would think that, you know, um, oh, these uh, modern flies are going to be better. And it's an, it's an old fly. I think that's why it's it kind of fallen out of favor. Yeah. You think like, well, you know, that something else is going to make that springing motion better. I, I bet I could find a, a fly that would do it even better than the pusher. I haven't. I, I can't find any other fly that does that in that way. I, you could find lures that'll do something pretty similar, but not mm. a fly. It's kind of neat. It's, it's yeah. really neat, very unique, and it does different things for us. I'll fish it in a lot of different water types. I mean, I have my favorite, and I've already mentioned sometimes some, some of the slower stuff. For some of the faster stuff, I like wet flies that'll kind of cut through the water better, mm-hmm. and a pusher doesn't cut really well. Yeah. You know, kind of Like you said, you can feel the resistance in the water, and sometimes that's a good thing. I don't know. It's it's if you talk to some local guys who have fished it. I remember talking to owners of the fly shop around here, and they fished it a lot. And you know, they're fishing a lot of different water types and whatever. It just that's what was on their line. You know, it's <laughs> it's something to have out there. That's for sure. Yeah. Anything else on the pusher? It's good. That's it. Now that's everything we know about night fishing. Then right. That's it. Now it's your fault. That's if you all you catch got. fish. <laughs> That's right. For all you idiots out there. Yeah, that's right. There's nothing more we can do. Exactly. <laughs> Leave a, let's finish with this, guys. No, I'm sorry, Josh. There's nothing. I was gonna make a joke. Nothing. Go. No, you're already you're out of jokes, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. this one, let's hear it. It's all gonna suck. The moment's over. The moment's over. Moving on. <laughs> We're ready. No, listen. The moment's listen. over. Get out of here. Sounds like an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> hey, straighten up. Straighten up. I it would have been funny, I promise. Let's finish with this. I was thinking about it. 
And we've we've all been night fishing for many years now. I think we've all we're all well past the stage of getting comfortable out there and we're not afraid of the dark anymore. Deli. <laughs> Too much. Um and we found, you know, somewhat of a system, the way that we like to do things anyway. And we so we've landed some good fish. We've had at least a few nights each where we feel like we have things figured out, just <laughs> at least for one night. You're like, ah, oh, I really got it. You go back out the next night, it's different. But we've explored just about every tactic uh, that you can learn out there that you can do after dark too. We have our favorites. We've talked through them. It's been, you know, it's good. Um, but what do you want to do next, guys? What are your personal goals for the for the future? It doesn't have to be a long, long thing, but do you have anything in mind? My goals are twofold. <laughs> First, <laughs> I want to catch a night neighbor. <laughs> Oh I, yeah, I want to catch. It. I thought you might say that. And two, I want to continue to become a more versatile night angler. It for some reason feels harder to be just as versatile at night as I am in the daytime. And some of that is just with yeah. the limited time and success and that lack of overall feedback from fish, as in you're catching less fish, and so you don't always know if you want to change or just stick with what you're doing. And if you change. Will you have messed up the yeah. success that you would have had if you just stuck with it? And so there can be this hesitance to change tactics. And even just hearing you talk earlier about like water switching tactics per water type, man, I would love to be more fluid with that at nighttime to the point that I feel like I'm taking full advantage of what's out there at night rather than targeting very specific tactics and lies and fish that I, I have more success with. So that's my goal. I hear you. I want to tie a Harvey Pusher streamer, like a big articulated streamer with multiple versions of the Harvey Pusher mm-hmm. back to back. I think that'd be pretty mm-hmm. cool. I want to try that. I've seen people put the wings on a sculpin. I've seen that. Too. Yeah, yeah. Something like that, but more levels, mm-hmm. but bigger. Oh, bigger. Oh, like a changer, yeah. like a Harvey Pusher changer. Ish, ish. Yeah. That'd yeah. be something. There you go. That would move some water. Yeah. Uh, That'd probably scare them away. They'd, be, they'd think something's coming to eat them. <laughs> uh, in addition, I think I think I do want to like spend a season really trying to figure out if there's more to be had nymphing at night. Yeah. That'd be pretty cool. I think for myself, a lot of my night fishing revolves around the warmer months. And I'd like to see what it'd be like to for me personally to push it further into the, mm. the fall and winter. Cause that's something I just mm. haven't done very much of it all. That's my thing too. That's a, I'm with you, Austin. I mean, I, I've fished a lot in the winter, but I haven't, mm, let's say in the last two years. And, um, I've been going back, you guys know, yeah. I've been doing more trips locally, just, just quick trips. I mean, on, uh, the easiest water, the closest water to me and the easiest way to just get out there, be out there for an hour and a half, two hours and come back. And I used to do that a lot. Um, and I haven't done that that much like you say fall winter because mm-hmm. it's tough but who cares i'm gonna get back out there and i'm sure there's things that i so many things that i missed before well you cannot be more alone <laughs> no. than going out night fishing in the winter you're almost guaranteed you are guaranteed you're not seeing anybody <laughs> out there yeah it's yours it's also really cold i think it's less scary there's something about night fishing in yeah. the winter that's less scary than in the summer is it because Nothing else is active. It's like that it's the, that there's like hardly any life out there. In addition, yeah. it, it's brighter on like naturally, it's generally brighter if there's anything mm. on the ground. In addition to that, snow, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like if, if there's snow on the ground, you can see. Oh, I know. Yeah. So well. I mean, you can see yeah. anything. Yeah. 
Trevor, when we were out the other night, it got down into the lower 40s. And that was the first time I felt those temperatures uh, yeah. since spring. And I was a little wuss. I was very cold mm. and my hands were going numb. And uh, the water was warmer than the air temperature, that's for sure. It's going to be a, a season of adjustment again. All right. Final words of wisdom. Um, final words mm-hmm. of wisdom. Get out there. Try it out. Night fish. And if you don't like it, stay off the water because we want more space. don't walk in on me if you see my car parked there don't walk in on me yeah nobody wants a friend at night that's nice Dell I want him to night fish so that I can learn because he will spend more time out there than I will but I don't want him to night fish because then someone like him will be night fishing where I want to night fish that's right he'll be parked where you want and he'll be there parked there every other night Mm -hmm. I like talking to guys like Dell that night fish Um, because yeah they're out there. They're really just, well, picking it apart, thinking about it. I mean, I think we're the same way. Yeah, and, for sure. Um, you know, even your success, you're questioning, well, why? Sometimes you're going, that doesn't make any sense, though. Like, I have to have a right. theory. Right. You know, this worked, but I can't figure it out. I have to figure it right. out. Right. And Austin and I kept talking about that when we were out, just how difficult it is when you catch maybe two fish apiece through six hours of fishing with a handful of misses in between how difficult it is to make decision on like, cause you just don't have many data points. Right. Like we were saying, if, if I had been fishing a different fly through that same spot yeah. in that same time, right. Right. would that fish right. have just eaten it also? Like, was it just the right time, right yep. place? Or did it actually mm-hmm. matter what right. I was doing exactly. or presenting? Yep. Never know. Let's see if you can find a, a group of night fishing buddies. You probably can't, but if you can, like these guys right here, I mean, it's like special. seriously, <laughs> yeah. Thank you guys, not just for what you've contributed here in these in these six yeah. episodes, but just for all the conversations. And well, when I got to know you guys better, and we all started knife fishing t- together and exchanging these ideas, I was like, "Whoa, mm-hmm. this is great!" It just expanded the set of knowledge and guys I can yep. trust, and the things that you know, if you're if you're saying it, I know it's true, and you know, you had good theories. It's super fun. Bad theories, <laughs> bad theories. And you tell me that my theories are bad. <laughs> it's good, you know? Anybody out there would love to have a group of friends that, that we have right here to exchange those kinds of ideas. And I don't know. If you keep searching for those friends, you, you yeah. might find them. It's tough to find the night fishing friends, though. For sure. Good stuff. All right. There it is. So the Night Fishing for Trout series on the Trout Bitten Podcast is a wrap. If you reflect on the topics for each episode and think back to these discussions... We've covered a lot of stuff. It adds up to seven hours of talk about the night game. All that, and it's not enough. What we said last week holds true. We feel like we've barely scratched the surface here, like we've opened the door and walked into a big hall, like the possibilities ahead are vast and unknown. That's how each of us feels about our exploration of trout fishing after dark. It's also how we feel about what we've been able to share here. We know there's more to be said. There are more boxes that we never had time to open up. And maybe that's all right. Because what we learn best about fishing and about so many other things in life happens when we discover it for ourselves. So let me finish this night fishing series with something I wrote for Trout Pitten a few years ago. As the years pass, so do my obsessions. Fly fishing and pursuing trout remains the constant, but how I approach them with a fly is as varied now as it's ever been. Boredom is impossible because river time is too short to answer one question before the next one arises. 
because trout are too guarded and mysterious to grant firm answers about much of anything. While experience is the one true teacher, the ideas of fellow anglers help shine a light on the next path for us to follow. A good book leads you to the trailhead, fills you with a bunch of thoughts that don't quite make sense, and then tosses you down the rabbit hole, saying, have fun. You'll figure it out. So I hope that this Trout Bitten podcast series has done the same for you. Go find your rabbit hole. Maybe wear a headlamp. Austin Dando, will you read us out? Gladly. Okay, so remember, the Trout Bitten Project is a free resource for all anglers. The Trout Bitten website hosts over 1,000 articles with endless stories, commentaries, tactics, tips, and more. Find what you like through the top menu and through the search page. Navigate by way of the categories and the tags, too. Be sure to find the Trout Bitten YouTube channel, currently featuring the Trout Bitten Tip Series, in collaboration with Wilds Media. These are short, useful, and unique tips for your fly fishing life. Thank you for listening to the Trout Bitten Podcast. Please give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment, because that really helps. Until next season, friends, fish hard, enjoy the day, and find your life on the water. Oh. <laughs> That's a wrap. Classy. It's a classy. It's a classy one. Until next season. You did that last next season. Nobody else no. said that. Gotta keep it in mind. That was good. Do it one time season. One time per season. That was good. That fishing was good. This one about fishing too. Everything you know about trout fishing. Okay, this is still <laughs> about fishing. All right, this one's there. Those guys are doing six episodes on like this night thing. Oh, you gotta oh. do throw miles. <laughs> it's that simple. I was gonna ask you if you if you ever listened to the episode about no, no. where we talked about seventy five hard. No, no, you did. Yeah, I didn't like being brought into that. <laughs> <laughs> Girls don't like that, as Caitlin says. Dirty seventy five hard. <laughs> <laughs> nah, get out of here. She can't hear you yeah. now. You get out of here.